or break a couple of kneecaps or something like he's still got like that mentality inside of him that's very villainous all right welcome to your church friends podcast i'm chris i'm Yurda. and we are back villain series season three villains villains yeah <laughs> that was actually <laughs> before we we, uh, we got here i've been watching the matrix movies all over again you know the new ones coming out Mm-hmm. So, like, the Matrix movies were big when I was younger, and well, the first one was really good. And then, So you've been watching the Matrix movie? Movie, yeah, <laughs> movies. I'm, I'll talk about two and three. I'll bring it into existence. It's actually not that bad when you watch them in order, like, just straight. So I spent, like, the last week and a half watching them as I've done certain things or sat down to eat real quick. But anyways, so I'm watching the third one, and Agent Smith is... Uh, he just absorbed, spoiler alert, spoiler alert for like a 20-year-old movie, no? No. <laughs> no. Okay, so if you haven't seen the Matrix movies yet, it's your fault, not mine. But he absorbs the Oracle, and he, he takes her in, and he sucks her in, and then he does this maniacal laugh, and it's like, ha and I was like, man, that would have been perfect for the villain series. And since nobody's seen the movie, they wouldn't have known we ripped it. <laughs> right, yeah. Since or just forgotten, because yeah. I've seen that movie, and I blocked that scene from my memory. Oh, a lot of it. But this isn't about The Matrix, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> although I could talk a lot about it. It's such a good movie. Honestly, there's a lot of stuff that you can rip from The Matrix. Like, yo. Yeah, I think a lot <laughs> you know, of... happens biblically. Pa- a lot of pastors do, too. Some of those smaller conversations, like with the architect and the oracle and this and that. Anyways, but excited for the fourth one. Yeah. Are we going to go see it? I'm going to see it, yeah. Am I invited? <laughs> oh, this is awkward. Yeah, you're invited. We'll go see it. Sweet. We'll go see it. Because we're your church friends, and we are real friends. This isn't just a show. <laughs> no, it's just, just for right <laughs> just now. Just for show. All yeah. right. Uh, you could only eat at one fast food restaurant for the rest of your life. A fast food restaurant for the rest of my life. I know which one it is. I just can't think of the name. Waba Girl. Waba Girl? Huh. Why? Because I feel like I will have a longer rest of my life. <laughs> it tastes good. And also, I won't turn into a plastic being smart. I went with El Pollo Loco. Oh, yeah. I ate a lot of El Pollo Loco. I feel like there's more variety there. Like, if I just wanted a salad, I could have a salad. If I wanted chicken, I could have chicken, burritos. There's just more variety. I wouldn't get stuck on, like, the same thing every day. Yeah, honestly, when, when you asked me, I was thinking through a lot of it. El Pollo Loco didn't even come into my mind. There's actually a lot more fast food than I immediately remember. Yeah. When we were having a conversation about this, me and Justine, a while ago. I always try not to, so local California people would only know this. I try not to throw in and out on fast food, but it is fast food. But I think of it more of like, they actually like cook everything right in front of you. It's not like processed kind of fast food in comparison to like a, mcdonald's man we're just trashing everything right now in this episode. Are, <laughs> yeah. are we the villains <laughs> no i don't know if trashing fake food is Have making us the thing? villains uh, the the uh where it's like mcdonald's where they just had it wrapped up in like the hamper the cheeseburger mm-hmm. and it's staying for like 80 years or 30 years or whatever but more than a year and it still looked the same yeah i've had that experience i've probably even shared it on the show before at least Told you, I think. Yeah. They, my mom's car, like in her, she had a little two door and in the back compartment, a girl that she had babysat 
like had just stuffed a cheeseburger in there and i found it after a california summer like <laughs> five six months later and it just shrunk it got shiny and it was very hard i was like knocking it on the glass wow did you eat it no also if you want to see his example steve gower he has one for his, oh, like, really? science class yeah he's done it oh that's cool i have to check that out anyways hey, long intro yes villains <laughs> villains of the bible i'm really like what did the what are we, who's the villain what did the fast food have to do with villains? none of it you set Just, me up i did we got matrix and fast food but now we're on to nebuchadnezzar so we're looking at nebuchadnezzar this week he was the king of babylon yes he was yeah he was and he was the king as they conquered jerusalem you got some back history into that yeah, so some of the background, background, one of the things is just when we're talking Babylon, when you look Old Testament and just a lot of the writings that came kind of since Babylon and onward, this is like the big bad empire. Babylon is just even used as a reference term for like everything against God, even bringing that into the New Testament. But Babylon as a place goes back super far because Babylon is also known as the Chaldeans, which I don't know if you remember, was it Genesis 12 when Abram's getting called? He's yeah. from Ur of the Chaldeans. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you look at even just the roots of this ancient place going back, it's like it's going back to at least Abraham. Now, when all of that comes around, which brings us to this point of uh, Nebuchadnezzar becoming king and taking over, which he actually first started off. He would have been a prince of Babylon when he's first introduced and he goes off and he fights um, Egypt. So he goes and fights one of the pharaohs, takes over that. And then he finds out that his dad had died. So. It's ancient civilization. So he rushes home so that he can assume the throne before somebody else tries to do it. So he takes over, and along the way, after those battles, he went and took over Jerusalem. So after he'd become king, he went and campaigned and basically took over Judah and the king, who is Jehoiakim at that time. And so there's a battle then, and historically, you can look at either that battle then is when the full subjugation happened, or there is maybe like four years in between. We're talking something like 605 BC, so um, going before Christ, around 600 years. Anyways, takes over, and there's an uprising of the Jews against when Nebuchadnezzar's off fighting different battles. They're like, now's our chance. And like, no, that didn't work out. So they get smashed down, and eventually, yeah, they bring the exiles. So his way of doing it was he left the poorest of the poor hey, tend to the fields and make sure this doesn't turn into just complete wildland, but we're taking anything of worth. They stripped down all of the temple with all of the gold, all the brass, all the bronze, all the everything. They took people. So if you're familiar, even like uh, the prophet Ezekiel, when you read his book, he's like, hey, I was one of the exiles, you know, just right there in Ezekiel chapter one. So yeah, that's kind of his, his background to it. He was a conqueror. He came in. I mean, when we look at Egypt, they're a huge superpower. He was overpowering them. And the Babylonian empire was huge. So he really took over a lot. And he had a reputation even as a builder. One of the ancient wonders of the world was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which must have been pretty impressive. And then kind of the last thing I'm going to throw in there is depending on the translation, his son, his son's name was Evil Merloch. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, Evil Merloch. Oh, that's funny. Uh, I mean, it's spelled more like M-E-R-O-D-A-C, maybe an H in there, mm. but also it's translated from, you know, something. Yeah. So the evil is not like evil muhaha, but more like awel. It all means something. Going back to Marduk, the ancient god. Right, so. right. That was something I saw that he was, uh, uh, he had rebuilt uh, the Marduk and the Nabs, Nab, god. Nabu. Nabu, yeah. Uh, Which is his name. So you have mm -hmm. Nabuchadrezzar, actually. Yeah. And that's coming into May Nebu, Nabu, mm -hmm. uh, however the pronunciation is. And I say that because there's different writings of it. Protect the throne. Right. So his name was basically like, hey, this god, who is a scribe god, 
protect mm-hmm. the throne and we'll have that. Yeah. I like that you brought a lot of that stuff up too, because a lot of times uh, Nebuchadnezzar could just be looked at. I mean, the main points of him or his life is in Daniel, which we'll, we'll get into. But a lot of it is I had a dream. I made an image for myself. I had a not, another dream. Mm-hmm. But looking at Nebuchadnezzar for who he was, he was a ruthless man. I mean, he was a conqueror going out there. He wasn't a king who just sat in his palace and let someone else do it. He was a military expert, and he would go out there and conquer. So it's good history to know that when we're looking at this guy, he's not just the dream dude. He's he's a vicious, ruthless man. Yeah, absolutely. And raised in it. I mean, when you look at the Babylonian Empire and the stuff that happened there, like, yeah, it's not just today when we look at all the nation powers, like, yeah, we're generally all the same and kind of nice. It's like, nah, vicious stuff. Yeah. Taking over these territories and subjugating people. I think that uh, one time Nebuchadnezzar, which king is it? It might have been Jehoiakim when they tried doing the uprising. I think he caught him and plucked out his eyes, bound him in shackles and took him. So, yeah, not a friendly dude. Not, not at all. So let's get into the Daniel side of it. Yeah. If you got any more. No, I just think that that gives a background. So, and that's in 2 Kings 23 through 25. You can also find it in Chronicles. There's bits of his story in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But when we get into how do we understand this man as a villain, that's definitely Daniel 1 through 4. Yeah. Yeah, 1 through 4. I mean, Daniel 1 starts off with the king Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim? <laughs> you said it so perfectly, and I was like, I'm I was, not going to say it right. I'm just laughing because when I was doing some studying on the yeah. bed, Delilah looked over, and she was like, oh, are you guys doing an episode on... <laughs> I said it worse. She was closer. But yeah, yeah, these biblical names are fantastic. So are they? maybe we can just call Nebuchadnezzar because it's technically Nebuchadnezzar. Thanks, Bible Project. Um, Can we call him King Neb? Yeah, King Neb is fine with me. I was going to go with Nebby, but Justine said I shouldn't. All right, cool. Yeah. But I might, anyways. But anyways, he uh, chapter one is when they what you're talking about. They took over, they conquered Jerusalem. They they take the best of the royal family over. They, the Bible is even clear about them being like without blemish and just good. And yeah, and even think it says in the in uh, NIV translation, without physical defect and handsome. So they took the best, good-looking people, and and that for them that we all know well is Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is always weird. I was going to say, that's not who he took. He yeah. took Daniel, Hananiah, yeah. Mishael, and Azariah. Yeah, that was the... It's weird that the their Jewish names kind of fell in the Daniel story, and he used their the Babylonian names given to them. But Daniel stays but Daniel. But Daniel's like, yeah, so Dan- yeah, Yeah, it's like, I'm just refer to myself as Daniel. I think it's because later on what we'll see is King Nebuchadnezzar talking to them uses their Babylonian ah. names versus we only get the... Right. Hebrew name early on. Probably would be some confusion in there. But he takes them. They're brought there to to be raised up in the Babylonian ways. They're told, eat all the food that we have to offer. Daniel and his boys said, we're not going to do that. We're going to eat just vegetables. Trust us. It'll work. Give us 10 days to prove it right. It did. It worked out for them. And then we get into chapter 2. Which isn't to say, go vegetarian because you're going to yeah. look better than all of the king's court. Maybe. But <laughs> I don't... Some people are like, look, the Daniel diet and all the stuff. It's like, well, you've done the Daniel fast. Oh, yeah. Me and Delilah, she hated it. We did that fast when we went to Tennessee yeah, with you guys. That and was we couldn't a eat at Paula Dean's restaurant. That was a mistake. The ooey gooey butter cake was awesome. That's when I had my raisins. <laughs> <laughs> but so, we, <laughs> yeah, we get into chapter two. Chapter two, he has a dream. And this dream worried him. It's, it's interesting, too, the wording of things. Like, he couldn't sleep. Imagine being a guy. With that much power and control, I mean, basically you said he conquered Egypt, but he had conquered 
what was known of the world at that time in that area. Like, yeah, Babylonian Empire was the was empire. massive. So he he was in charge of all this, and imagine like having everything at your disposal, and just like I can't sleep now because of a dream. Like this dream troubled him, so he brought in all of his guys and uh, what is it, magicians, soothsayers, all these people. Anyways, his his court. He brings them in and says, "I had a dream, and I'm not going to tell you what the dream is, but you have to tell me what the dream is and the interpretation." And his guys are like, "No, no man on earth could ever do that." And then he said, "All right." Order, execute them. So then we get into where Daniel finds out about this, and Daniel goes... Well, because he would be considered one of them. Yeah. So he's like, hey, you know, the king wants us dead now. Right. So he goes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he's like, look, we got to pray, and we got to talk to God to see if we could get something so we can our lives could be spared. And so they pray, and then Daniel goes up to King Nebuchadnezzar. He interprets the dream for him. And do you want to get into the dream a little bit of what it was, or want to just... Well, I just real quick, because you're bringing up, imagine being the king over all the stuff and a dream trips you out. But then we even see from the very beginning of him bringing these guys over to be trained up in the ways. And he has these magicians and the enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers is that the ancient world was much more attuned to the unseen realm, to the spiritual realm that just guided so much of their decisions. They had their national gods, again, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebu, Nabu, right, and all the different gods. That was so important, and that dreams and dream interpretations obviously had these guys that were like, hey, interpret the dream. Like, it was a normal thing. So for me, I'm seeing more of that dream. For us, it's a dream. It's like, oh, what I eat last night. Yeah. But for them, it's like, this is the gods communicating, and whatever the heck happened last night, that has me freaked out. Like, what is it being? So, yeah, so when we get to the dream, we even have Daniel saying, hey, there's no man, no wise man, enchanter, medium, no man can do this. However... There is a God in heaven who can reveal mysteries. So right from the get-go, Daniel's saying, this isn't me, it's God, and God is going to tell you what's up, which I think is a really cool thing to talk to the king, like, hey, we're under exile, let me tell you about my God. But basically, he lays out that the king's dream was of this massive statue, great and dazzling, and the head was pure gold, its chest and arms were silver, its belly and thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, and its feet were part iron and clay. And as you were looking at this statue, a stone was cut out, not by human hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay, crushed them. And when everything was shattered and the wind carried it all away, not a trace could be found, but the stone that had struck the statue became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. And the interpretation of this that he gives, so he goes, here's the dream, which he didn't get killed immediately. So it was just like, yeah, that's the right dream. And then the interpretation of it saying, hey, that head of gold, that's your empire. And then each of these things coming down, which you see it coming down in value, right? You start with gold, then you get silver, and you go down to the feet, which are even a mix between iron and clay. The empires following him are getting lesser. Uh, and he's just saying, after you, there's going to be a, another empire, another empire, another empire. But that the kings in the days of those feet, that's when a kingdom from God is going to come and take over the whole earth. Uh, I thought that was interesting, too, because, you know, the idea of something coming down and striking something doesn't create a mountain like if if a meteor comes from the sky and hits the earth what does it do it creates a crater a crater it just shows like god and kind of his awesomeness right that i'm going to come down and i'm not going to destroy and create and leave a hole i'm going to build up and have a mountain that covers the whole earth yeah so within that here's another spoiler alert that's jesus setting right. up the kingdom of heaven i didn't want to give that one away <laughs> yeah well this is a lot older than 20 years 
Even then, there, there's the mountain of God, right? That's mm-hmm. God's dwelling place, so his dwelling place is taking over the horrors. Really cool imagery when you study in. But there's the dream. He comes and interprets it. So then what? So then he goes and, and he's very happy about this. And it actually says in uh, verse 46, Then Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor in order that an offering and incest be presented to him. The king said, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. So then Daniel was put in a, in a high position. But uh, So here we have Nebuchadnezzar. He gets what he wanted. The dreams revealed to him. Uh, we talked about this before the show started, that he, he got God in the sense that he understood it, but he worshipped Daniel. Like he was paying him honor. He fell before him. He, they had sacrifices made for him. But he understood that behind him at this moment in his life that there was a God that was deeper. Yeah. And I think, again, just in that spiritual world that, oh, you're operating through your God, and so you're a great guy. Just like Nebuchadnezzar was like, hey, I'm, I'm linked up with the gods too, so I can pay honor where honors do. But I think even there, again, Nebuchadnezzar with all of his empire, and he's thinking his gods are the best gods and all that stuff. Cool, Daniel, you, you got a good God. He figured out something no one else could figure out. I'm going to respect that and give you a position. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like, oh, this is God, God. I should yeah. do something about it. It was almost like uh, like you're saying, I have my gods. Oh, let's just throw him up there with that pedestal. Yeah, someone to be honored. Yeah. So then we get into chapter three. Chapter three is crazy because Daniel tells him this dream, right? You're going to have the, the statue. You're the goat head. And chapter three kicks off. Nebuchadnezzar, King Neb, made an <laughs> image of gold 90 feet high and nine, uh, nine feet wide. So it's like, here's the dream you're going to have. I wonder, uh, as he was sitting there like, like in his palace, maybe coming back from conquering somewhere. You know what would be cool? A gold image of myself. Where does, this sounds familiar. Nah, this is my idea. We're, let's do it. I didn't, I didn't know where you were going to go with it, but it fired off a thought in my mind. He builds a giant gold statue of himself, right? Yeah. And the, the prophecy was there's going to be other empires coming after you. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, I'm going to make the whole statue gold. Almost oh, yeah, like I yeah. wonder if it's like, no, my empire will be everlasting all so the way down. So he did, but it wasn't just like a... I mean, that's, that's my speculation. But yeah. when you said it, it triggered in my mind like, oh, dang, I wonder if he was like, oh, yeah. yeah that's too good. That's a thought. Because mine was like more of like a... I guess it went more into how I would think of things. So someone tells me something and I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then like a few weeks later, I'm like, oh, I've got this genius idea. And it's the exact same thing. And then you're in a me. meeting with those people and don't give them credit. Yeah. So, that, so that's <laughs> what I you thought. Have just been I, in those meetings. I also like that idea of like, I'm going to build myself a gold statue. And you know what? No empire. I'm going to rule it all. And there will be no empire after me. Yeah, I like that too. I didn't even read that in the commentary. That me might, neither. There might be some good stuff. Put that in the Archom, Your Church Friends commentary. Coming out soon. <laughs> be a lot of <laughs> Matrix stories telling Anyway, so uh, I'll get to, I'll wrap up chapter three. We'll go into the second half with chapter four, but uh, let me wrap up chapter three. Chapter three, he builds up the statue and he has all these people with a bunch of instruments play music. And when you guys, when the, when the nation, because he gives the order, when you hear the, na- the music playing, everybody has to bow and worship it. So the music would play, everyone would bow and worship it, except for three guys. And it's weird that it doesn't mention Daniel in this, but maybe he was off doing something else. Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe he was going back to Jerusalem checking on the exiles. He got sent on an order or something. Who knows? Doesn't mention him. Doesn't mention it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are just like, we're not going to bow. We're not going to bow down to this. So some of the people went and snitched on them. They told on them. And the king brought them before him. And, and now he's like, bow down to my image. And they're like, no, we're not going to do it. You're going to bow down to my image. And they said, no, we're not going to do it. And the most famous line of this book is... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, 
We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hands. O king, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So before I kind of jumped apart is that if you didn't, you're going to get thrown into the fire. (laughs) So big, big part there. Again, this ruthless guy, like, don't worship me, just throw him in the fire. And that's what I want to bring up. I know that we've kind of told more of the story, but really coming back to he is a villain. He's coming against the people of God and like, hey, nobody can answer my thing. I'm just going to kill all of you guys. Like, what kind of a maniacal, genocidal villain? Oh, yeah, these are my best guys who have raised up and all this stuff. But if you're not serving my purposes, you're you're useless to me. So you're done. And even here, it was like, yeah, all of the nation. And if you don't, then you're dead. I think we don't really put it into perspective of the man he was. I think history, looking into history of him, does help lead into that. Like, he was a conqueror. He basically went into Jerusalem because he wanted that land. Like, and all other land. If, if Put it on today's perspective. If some other country came into America and wiped us out because they just wanted our land and all the other land. Like, there's movies made about people who are like, I want world domination. <laughs> That's Nebuchadnezzar yeah, here. That he's is like, the villain yeah, of the movie. Like he's yeah. on that level of yeah. Yeah, he's Doctor Evil. Old reference, Austin Powers, <laughs> but probably not as awkward. But he's he's that guy. I want to control the world, and I'm going to conquer it, and I'll do anything it takes. So yeah, if you don't worship me, in the fire you go. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, no, we're not going to do it. Even if we get thrown in there, and our God doesn't keep us safe, we're still not going to do it. Which is such great faith. That's for another episode, though. So they get thrown in. And as they're thrown in there, it says the fire was so intense that the the guys who threw them in, they burned up alive. And when they got thrown in, one of the guards came up to him and he's like, hey, didn't we throw three dudes in there? And he's like, yeah, we did. And then he's like, there's another one in there. Who looks like the son of God. Who looks like the son of God. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, what? And he brought them all out. And then he, he kind of, again, has this moment. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defiled the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. So again, you're seeing this. I think we were talking about it before we started recording, that God was getting the other people we've talked about's attention. Like, he was trying to say, like, hey, look at me. Start focusing on me like uh, sin is crouching at your door when we talked about Cain. Yeah. Uh, Judas had, Judas was, like, putting money in his pockets, and Jesus like, you can't love money and God. Like, he's saying it right to his face. And, and here you kind of see the same thing, that God is working through Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to get his attention. And his eyes are starting to lock there, but they're not completely there. Yeah, and so you're seeing God's power over different things, right? And in various ways, like, hey, I can see to your innermost. And it's really thinking, oh, this God of the Jews is seeing into my dreams, right? It's like he's like he has that kind of power. And then here, just the power over life and death. Like, oh no, I don't want them to die. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm gonna come and I'll rescue them, which is exactly what their what their faith was saying. But even there, he's not bowing down to their god as the most high he's recognizing that they have a god who can do that no other god can do it but whereas going hey now everybody in the nation this is the real god we should follow he just says hey don't trouble these guys if they want to worship their god or whatever you can't talk smack about it 
The, the interesting part, though, too, again, talking about just the, the man he was, their God is, like, powerful, and he's better than any other God. He could do, he saved them from fire. Like, this is the God. Everyone, now, like, put your eyes and focus in on that God. Hey, but if you don't, I'm going to cut you into pieces and burn your house to rubble. Like, it's still that. You can't get rid of that <laughs> part of him. Yeah. yeah, he's like, I'm going to crack your legs or break a couple of kneecaps or something. Like, he's still got, like, that mentality inside of him that's very villainous. <laughs> I wonder if, like, his closest guy's like, hey, uh... Hey, uh, Neb, didn't need to say that last part, guy. <laughs> <laughs> like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like, yes, he's, he's moving over our way. Maybe this will be good for our people and everyone at home, you know, like this is going to be good. And then he's like, but if not, I'm going to cut and throw pieces, burn your house down. And they're both just do like the face palm thing like, oh, no. Which on that point, I know that we're going to take the break right now. But what we're learning here is you have this villain who has all of this power over everything. And that you see that just these guys who have faith in God. And the different ways that God moves through them, the way that they seek God, right? They're staying obedient. They're saying, hey, we're not going to take on this other diet and do that whole thing. They're seeking God when they go, hey, something really bad is going on. Let's seek him so that we can get interpretation. They're even going then and addressing the villain and, you know, bringing God into that situation. You have here defiance against, you know, hey, they'd rather defy me than, than serve any other God. And that when we look at our lives, I really think that there's so much in this that hey, there's darkness around us. There's enemies around us. We need to stand for God and seek God and be obedient to God in these ways because look at what God can do in this situation. Yeah. I'm not facing a King Nebuchadnezzar. People in America aren't. People in other countries definitely are. And that's where we can just see for his evil and his powerful and his whatever, God is better. Yeah. Those evil guys just don't see I really it. like that point. And then we'll go into the break. But I really like that point you just brought up. Of They brought God to the... And I know this episode isn't going to be about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And it's so hard not to do that because that's what the preaching always is. It is. Uh, Chapter 4 will hit Nebuchadnezzar and and what I consider probably his biggest issue that he had. But, like, they didn't get angry at the evil. They didn't. And as much as it's not shown, but, like, Nebuchadnezzar is their enemy. Like, he's the guy who took them hostage. He's holding them in a place they don't want to be. Every single day, they might have been like, well, we're in a good situation in Babylon, but... We're not in Israel. We're not in the promised land. We're not with other, like, yeah, yeah it's our, every single day. And our land is completely destroyed. So, like, they're, they're not exactly where they want to be. And they're not protesting. They're not marching. They're not ridiculing. I don't think you could. <laughs> yeah, but they're not ridiculing. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. They're going before their enemy and presenting Jesus in love. So much so that he even calls them to him sometimes in certain things. Like, we'll get into chapter 4 with, with his next dream. He calls them into his presence. And I think it speaks volume for us as Christians that maybe we should flip this whole thing of how we treat people. And instead of looking at people as the enemy and I want to just reject them and not really be around them, but put ourselves in their presence to present God to them in a light that would help. God's the only one that can do anything. Obviously, he uses us, but it's ultimately, if you're seeking God, you're obedient, and you're presenting God, what more can you do? Yeah. All right, let's go to the break. Everybody, it's Remy. Do you have an eye problem? No, I'm not talking about a problem with your vision. I'm talking about the problem with always seeing yourself over others. Thankfully, the creators of Simply Patch, the patch that helps your yes be a yes, has created a solution for all who struggle with the eye problem, the golden eye. The golden eye are contacts you put in your eyes that allow you to see less of you and more of others. 
Place the contacts in your eye every morning at 5 a.m. and watch as the focus on yourself diminishes and your view of others increases. No longer will you be a big golden image in your own life. The golden eye contacts are wonderful and have helped me with my eye problem. Go out and buy the golden eye, removing yourself from your sight. Now back to the show. We are back with King Neb, starting chapter four of Daniel, and got to tell you, it starts off great. I mean, from where we left off with the three in the fire, four in the fire, and seems like he's recognizing things about God, check out how chapter four starts off. He's saying, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the people of every nation, language who dwell on the earth, may your prosperity be multiplied. I'm pleased to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom, his dominion endures from generation to generation. And it's like, sweet, this villain has got it. Yeah. I'm glad there was nothing else to that story. It was just, you know, just yeah, straight from, oh yeah, look at that, these guys didn't burn and here we are. But I'm going to cut people into pieces and we're in the house of rubble. Now God is... Yeah, but what we find out is he pulled a Tarantino here. Is he, he yeah. gave us the end at the beginning, and then we keep reading and get into how he came to this conclusion. So he has a dream. Again, another dream. It gets to the same point where this dream troubles him, and he's just like messed up by it. So he calls in Daniel, and he tells him the dream, and there was this big tree, and it was just providing shade and comfort for all the animals. It was this big thing expanding over everything. And then the tree gets cut down. Yeah, it was fruitful, abundant, the leaves, everything... Like, everything's good. Spanned over everything. And yeah, then it gets cut down, chopped off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit, let the beasts flee from underneath it, and the birds leave the branches. But then it's just going to be a stump with its roots in the, gra- in, <laughs> in, the gra- in the ground and a band of iron and bronze around it. And then it's weird because it's talking about that stump. And then it says, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. And let him be given the mind of a beast until seven times pass him by. This decision is the decree of the watchers, the verdict declared by holy ones, so that the living will know that the Most High rules over the kingdom of mankind and gives it to whom he wishes, setting over it the lowliest of men. I like that you read it. What translation was that? That's the Berean Study Bible. I like that you read that because the, the watcher thing. Yeah. Every other one is messenger, like the NIV is messenger, which I read all the time. And this one said the Watcher, and I instantly thought of the Watcher from like the Marvel universe just watching down at us. But anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah so Daniel is the only place where you get the term the Watchers, mm-hmm. and that's a fun study. Yeah, it's an interesting topic when you're talking to like how we got the term angels, and it kind of covers all of this thing, but there's like other different spiritual things. But yeah, yeah there's a lot going on in the spiritual realm. There's way more than we think. But he has a dream. Daniel comes in, and he listens to it. And, and I like Daniel's reply. He's like, I wish... This was for your enemy. I wish this was for someone else. I don't want to tell you this, but basically this is you. You are the tree, and you're going to get cut down, and this is going to happen to you, and you'll be like an animal and a beast. But he tells him this in verse 27, which I thought was really great. He says, Therefore, king, be pleased and accept my advice. Renounce your sin by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then prosperity will continue. So it's almost like, Again, we're talking about like that warning that God gives to people. And he gave Daniel here to tell him like, hey, if, if, the, if you just do these things, and he makes it a big deal to kind of focus in on like, take care of the poor, take care of the oppressed, stop being so like 
Stop being a villain. Stop being a villain. Stop being selfish. Stop doing those things where you're just taking after you. And, and it's it's so interesting that God, God is so concerned about the oppressed and the poor and that it's important. And as a king who was reigning over everything, he could have provided for everybody to wipe that out. So Daniel's telling him like, hey, do this. Make sure that that's happening. And then we get into verse 28. So he gets the warning and then verse 28 says, all this happened to King Nebi 12 months later. So a whole year went around. The story changes from where the beginning part of chapter 4 was Nebuchadnezzar communicating this. And now we get the story going back to like someone else is writing it because it says King Nebuchadnezzar. And as he was on his roof walking around the royal palace in Babylon, he said, Is it not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and by my glory and by my majesty? And then it says, then the words were still on his lips when the voice came from heaven and said, boom, you're going to turn into an animal. Like basically that's, that was the gist of it. I'm shortening up so we could get into other things. But 12 months later, he goes up and he, almost like he forgot or it just didn't click or it didn't happen yet. You know, you get that warning and because nothing's happened, you're, you just kind of put it in the back of your head. And he goes up to the top of his palace and he's just like, look at what I've built. Look at everything I've done. Look at how great I am. And it's by my power and by my might. And going back to his history, when you read that, you're like, dude, what a prideful guy. Like, so much arrogance in that. King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Egypt. Like, Pharaoh, he can say, by my power. Like, he, he did this thing. And he was literally the warrior out there. Yeah. I mean, that's how things went in those days. It wasn't just like, oh, let me send out my army or like, let's send drones over there and not, you know. Mm -hmm. He's like, no. Nah. I'm out there. I'm smashing down some people, and that's how he. <laughs> that's how you get to be a king like that, right? And so it, it is. If someone were to go up there and be like, "Look at everything I've done," like, yeah, he he probably had a right to. But again, we're looking at there were areas of Cain's life where God wanted to get a hold of him. Right? There was this area in his life that God's trying to grab, and his was this anger he had. There's Judas. There's this area he's trying to grab. This greed. This uh, necessity to have money uh, for Samson when we looked at that he was trying to get a hold of him to make him holy and set apart and be a leader but Samson just consistently was like nah let me go down and do everything I'm not supposed to and here with Nebuchadnezzar God's trying to even in the dream where it's said at the very end of it that God puts people in charge of things and God is the one who ordains who's here and who's there and who's ruling and who's not and that's in the dream this is the warning and then Nebuchadnezzar just forgets this because he's coming after Nebuchadnezzar's pride in a sense yeah, definitely. Pride is in there. I also see that it's just the way that God works. And we can just read it. Oh, yeah, the Bible starting it happens. But you have God revealing his power to King Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's showing, look, I'm God. I have power. You're even recognizing that, you know, and then you would think that with he's giving Nebuchadnezzar a chance to see him for who he is so mm -hmm. that when this message comes, it's not coming from Oh, yeah, you conquered some people, and here's a messenger of their God, and he's saying, you better knock it off. Yeah. It's more like, hey, you know, you know who's talking to you. I've revealed who I am, and you know who's talking to you here. And then you have him given the choice. Hey, turn away from this stuff. And like you said, if time passes, but I feel like when God brings something to our attention and says, do something with this, repent, change, listen, be obedient, the time to do something about that is immediate. Yeah. Because if you don't do something about it, yeah, time passes. And if you don't, if you're not obedient when it comes up, then 
however much time passes, then you're dealing with the consequence. I like that you brought that up too, because the thought that popped into my head was, if he didn't do it right away, you start to think that what was said wasn't actually like, okay, I got away with it today. I could push it off and I got away with it. And then it becomes like, not as scary of a situation. You know, this was a dream that tormented him. He was mm-hmm. staying up. He had to call in Daniel, like, tell me what this means. That there was no immediate action, again, shows you where his heart was. It wasn't there yet. And that as time went on, it was like, well, there's no consequence. There's no consequence. There's no consequence yet. A year later. Yeah. To then, to the point of like, look it. And then that's when the consequence hits. And I, I feel like a lot of times, as we as Christians kind of, walk that slope of or just people in general we can walk that slope of don't put it on christians everyone we can walk the slope of there's no consequence there's nothing happening to me there's nothing happening to me there's nothing happening to me and we get ourselves into situations where eventually it it becomes our downfall and ruin yeah that downfall and ruin because i'm fully convinced that god through the power of the holy spirit convicts of what's right and what's wrong right so as far as I'm concerned, when that conviction comes, that's the time to do something about it. Because even though God will continue to pursue us, he also just lets us know, and then it's up to us to be obedient and to make that decision. So if when that conviction comes, that's the time to do. And I know that I'm repeating myself on that, but we all face that with sin. And like you said, when the passage of time, just because we don't see the consequence right away, and that's a really scary spot to be because you can keep going in it. You can go deeper into it, which is normally what happens, yeah. right? Uh, your conscience gets seared to it. And we just think we're we're fine. And we don't know the day, the hour, or how big it'll be when that thing actually hits. And scripture says your sin will find you out. God's patient. And, you know, he gives some time for stuff and continues to work things in your in your life. But he also won't be mocked. <laughs> yeah. And the one thing I want to add to that is that even as we looked at the four people we've looked at already, it was sitting there, Judas is hearing a message like, you can't love money and God. Then is the time to respond to say like, I should change my life, right? What eventually happens is it doesn't and there's death at the end of it. Cain, who was told, hey, you got to get what sin is there and it wants to devour you. And then it says some time passed and then him and his brother went, he called his brother out to the field. It was Again, there, there was no immediate response to correcting the issue. And again, there was death. Samson, who was called out to be holy and he was trained in right. And, and I think you brought this up too, or it was during the break, how all of these people that we had started talking about originally, these first three before we get to Nebuchadnezzar, they started off in the right place. I think we were talking about that on the phone earlier. Or something. Yeah, they started off in the right place, but then ended up in the wrong place. And for Samson, same thing, it was death. For Nebuchadnezzar, here's this warning like, hey, You've got to get your pride in line. And even again, the dream was like, I put people in charge of things. I'm the one who does it. So God gives them the warning. And then because there was no follow-up right away, there was 12 months of time that went by. And one thing that I really thought about it was that when we kind of get into a place that we forget that is God who put us in situations, we kind of become plagiarists. Like, we plagiarize things. It's like, look at what I've got. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. And through it all, it's like God is like, no, I've given it to you. It's all been blessings through me. And, and that's where Nebuchadnezzar was at. So continuing on with the story is that this happens and the dream gets fulfilled. He becomes an animal and it says uh, seven, what was it, seven times seven Basically seasons. seven years, yeah. Yeah. Um, but just when it says, so when he declares that out, the voice from heaven comes as it's decreed to you that your kingdom has departed from you, you'll be driven away from mankind to live with the beasts, 
You'll feed on grass like an ox. Uh, seven times will pass you by until you acknowledge the most high rules over the kingdom of mankind and gives it to whom he wishes. So even the message right there is like, hey, you're going to go live out of your mind like a beast, but you will admit. Um, you know, it's interesting, too, because it's like, you know, when people want to say, well, the Bible's not historically accurate or anything like that. You could actually, there's a lot of stuff on Nebuchadnezzar. Like, there's historical background on him. You could, they're finding articles of Nebuchadnezzar stuff all over the place, artifacts and stuff. Yeah, there's like tablets that. and stuff. Yeah, tons of it. But I, I read something where it said there was, there is a point in history where it's recorded where his, his wife was leading. So it even lines up with Daniel, what happens here in Daniel. That, that's just a side note for historical things. I think that's really cool. So to take this guy, and again, he's a villain. And when we see biblically what makes someone a villain, they're opposed to God. Yeah. Like that's what makes me a villain. I'm overtaken by my own temptations, my own desires, evil, whatever. I'm not a loving person. I don't stand upright. I don't take care of the oppressed like you're bringing out. So I am a villain. I'm standing opposed to God and opposed to what's good. And we see this king who definitely evil, right? Genocidal and all that. Given a chance to recognize God, given a chance to recognize God, given a chance to repent, doesn't take it. And you see this great king with all of his opulence, all of his everything, right? And it says that he ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Dude was out of his mind. He was out in a field. There was no getting through to King Nevi, right? And so his hair was all matted. Dude, like he is in a crazy spot. Look at the how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> like it's like crazy. It said like his hair was like the feathers of an eagle. Like I don't know what you have to do to your hair to make it like the feathers of an eagle, and that his claws were like the same thing, like the claws of a bird. Like he was just like a crazy guy. Like you were saying, uh, Timothy Keller says this. He said that just talking on the idea of pride is that pride defaces your humanity, and I thought that was really cool because. This is the example we see here of Nebuchadnezzar. He's just, he's an animal. He became a beast. Then there was three points he had with that. He said, pride makes us like an animal when we're unable to show empathy. We're driven by ego and survival instincts. And it, it makes you incapable of joy. And you could see all this in Nebuchadnezzar. It's like this pride thing was being checked and he became this animal. And, and in the same way, we can become animals because we don't empathize with people when we're prideful. We were just survival instincts, and it's all about what I could do, what's best for me. And then there's no real joy. Like, we're not, we don't have joy. And I think I, the way I like how Timothy Keller put all this into perspective for Nebuchadnezzar was really cool. But then we get into the point of at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heavens, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. And you see this transition in his life, but it was. It was the dream again, right? This isn't going to change until you acknowledge me. Mm -hmm. Like I'm trying to break what's this, what's going on. This, yeah, we're all evil. We're all the villains in some sense if we're opposed to God. And here I just, God's saying, you need to acknowledge me in your life that I've given you all this. And then at the end of the time, he raised his eyes up. I love that visual. It's such a, a, a great visual. And again, and it's used so often. Yes. And because he's a villain and we're talking about him, villain doesn't mean like his story ends the same way the other people's does. I, I wanted to add Nebuchadnezzar in here because it is a story that almost is. I know a lot of people have debate back on four of this, but it seems like a story of redemption that he did lift his eyes up and turn and started following God. Yeah, especially the end of chapter four um, after he praises God and 
his dominion and everlasting dominion and all that stuff. He says, at the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. His advisors sought him out. He was returned. Greatness surpassed him. And it says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. For all his works are true and all his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So yeah, it does seem like a redemption there. Like he has come to truly recognize it's not just another God. It's not just a God that has power over certain things. He's saying, no, he's the king of heaven. And he's recognizing I'm here because of him. Mm -hmm. I really, uh, and you brought up pride a few times. And he's recognizing he's able to humble those who walk in pride. So Nebuchadnezzar is still a man. And he's recognizing, oh, I was full of pride. I have been humbled. And pride is one of those things that, biblically speaking, that's one of the big ones. Yeah. Like, if you are standing in pride, it says God opposes the proud, and he exalts the humble. All throughout the scriptures, like, hey, pride is like a big, it's a big one. C.S. Lewis said this, and I, I want to get this in there because it's such a, when we talk about pride, I think a lot of times we think of people who are just arrogant. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a few there's a few ways that we're prideful, you know, like uh, it's not just arrogant people who say, look at me and look at what I've done and look what I've accomplished. There are certain people that within their life, they, they've done a bunch of stuff and they have it and they say, this is what I'm owed. I'm owed this because of all my hard work and all the stuff I put in. That's why I have all these things that I have. And then there are people who l- look at pride and it's more like, I deserve this. Why don't I have it? I should have what they have. I deserve what they have. And, and it's still two forms of pride in our life. And C.S. Lewis said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of, more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. And I, that just, that was such a good quote. I, I read that the other day and I just looked at it as like, man, that's so true. That it's pride is just it's not just wanting more or something that someone else has. It wants to be above everybody else. And what makes that dangerous is, yeah, for us as people, like if I'm proud and I'm like, oh, I've got this and you don't. But eventually what it does is then it sets myself above God. Like I start being God in my own life and I start replacing God in my life because it's look at what I've done, look at what I've accomplished, and look at what I have. And so that's the dangerous slope here. Well, it removes gratitude. Yeah. And recognizing our place, which is where you say you can set yourself up above God because some people might not grasp that, like, oh, I'm choosing to do that. But the way that it happens is rather than looking at life and being thankful for, wow, God's given me life or he's given me these opportunities or he's put me in this place to allow this, which even the kings, right, they've been allowed to be where they are because of God. And you just stop recognizing where it all comes from. And if you stop recognizing that it comes from God, then he's not necessary and he's because I did it all. Yeah. Yeah. Pride completely sets you against God in those ways. Yeah, so it's a, it's a thing that I think one of the seven deadly sins. So it's on there as a thing that we need to check. And here you see a story of a guy who, who deservingly could look and say, like, look at what I've done, who God just started interacting with and started getting his attention. He sent uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into his life. He sent Daniel into his life twice. He had dreams and visions, and God was really trying to get him. And then he had to go through being an animal and then that eventually led him to recognize who God is in his life. So, yeah, when I look at this, I do look at Nebuchadnezzar's life to get back onto who he is as a redemption story. This is someone who, who made a comeback because the story ends there. It's chapter four and that's it. I mean, I'm sure there are historical things that we could look at. But as far as biblically, 
that's it. Chapter 5 goes into King Belshazzar uh, had a great banquet. So Nebuchadnezzar's story ends there, and I just have to take it for if that's where the story ends, then that, that's how I see it with him. Yeah, that was a good quote from Lewis, and then you were bringing bring it to those. And the whole thing, again, just focusing in on pride, Jesus says in Matthew 23, and not really taking it fully out of context, but 23.12, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. This is when Jesus is talking about, don't call anyone on earth your father, only your one in heaven. Don't be called leaders, for only one is your leader, and that's Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. So when we see Jesus coming, and showing this is how humanity is supposed to be and how to live, right? Bringing us into, hey, don't be an enemy to God. Come and submit to my teaching. You'll be a son of God, right? And we get that humbling yourself is a way of life for Christians. And just there, I see both sides of those in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. The very words out of his mouth before the humbling came was, look at how great I am and everything Mm -hmm. that I've done. He exalted himself. Even after hearing the warning from God, I put you there. So he was humbled. And then he realized, hey, God humbled me. And then he exalted God, which then he himself was exalted. And he said, hey, my kingdom has been restored to me with all of these things. So both parts of those, I don't think that always uh, humbling yourself and exalting God is going to turn you into a king or maybe restore a lot of the worldly things that you had. But God exalting you is so much better than anything else. Like, whatever it looks like, that's the right thing. Yeah, it's the priority of what's important in your life. And you could even see it in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like, every time they were in front of, and Daniel, every time they were in front of the king, their words were God. So their priority was God. Even, uh, I want to go back to the beginning of it, because I wrote this down in my Bible as I'm studying and reading. That part where he says, it's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and the wonders that the Most High God has performed, that it was, Nebuchadnezzar's life to me was so changed that it was his pleasure to tell people about God and what he's done and all the things and the miracles and the miraculous things he's performed for me. And I wrote in my Bible right here, it was his pleasure, why is it not mine? You know, I think sometimes we get caught up in living, and Nebuchadnezzar's story is kind of the same situation. There's the pride aspect of things, but there's also like comfort and content. Like he's the king, he has everything he wants. And we could get caught up in almost that same comfort and content that telling people about what God has done in our life stops. Like we're not telling anyone about what God's done and all these great things he's done in our life. It just kind of becomes a, a, a thing we take for granted. You know, there's like you were saying, the, how do you eliminate pride? Be thankful. There's always a remedy to whatever element is going on in our life. And for that one, yes, being thankful, being grateful, praying for thanking God for what he's done in our lives. And, and to me, that was just a check for me. This Nebuchadnezzar story is the, of this guy who was this, in a sense, a tyrant and going out there and conquering lands can get his life to a perspective where he eventually says, it's my pleasure. I, I delight in telling you the story that maybe I need to start taking more pleasure in what God's done in my life. And, and you can see it. That's gratitude. My pleasure. I'm so grateful to tell you about what God's done. So yeah, Nebuchadnezzar is an interesting character. You got anything else on him? To go with the same points that you were saying is to become thankful. You know, there's remedies to things. Really what we see with Nebuchadnezzar is God in a very forceful way revealed to him, I have the power, you don't have the power. As far as I'm concerned, like, you can go be a field and a beast and be out of your mind. Like, you know what I mean? And just like there was a humbling there. 
recognize your place. And in addition to thankfulness, man, to just really come before God. And it's a, it can be a hard thing if you're prideful. But again, if you're looking at, hey, I might be a prideful person. I want a solution to it. Come before God and say, reveal to me my position. Mm. Humble me. I'm struggling with it. I, I can't humble myself. Humble me. You know, reveal to me. And whether it comes through prayer and God can just search your heart and show you what's in there. But kind of like what happened with Nebuchadnezzar, hey, 12 months later, this thing happened. There will be times that God will bring into your life to show you whether it's at work, whether it's in your family, whether it's whatever the thing is that you go, oh, yeah, I do need God. And I'm not in all control and I'm not the greatest. And, I, you know, you start to see that however that plays out, you know, it's, it's different. But if you're struggling with bringing and having thanks and gratitude and all this stuff, <laughs> I don't even want to say like say it in your pride. I say, OK, God, humble me. <laughs> I'm kind of laughing and chuckling because I've been humbled and it's not a fun experience. However, at the end of it, you've been humbled and that's the best spot to be. It's not comfortable. It's not whatever. But man, I used to have so much pride in my life. Even getting into ministry somewhat young and being, as other people tell me, a bit more intelligent or grasping onto things and just being on fire for stuff. And scripture kind of talks about, hey, careful not to give somebody too much at the beginning because, you know, the sin of the enemy will come upon them. And I think that there's a lot of pride in that and puff them up. And yeah, uh, that definitely happened. And I, I was humbled and highly recommend, but might not like it as it goes. It's much better to go the I'm willing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, just show me what's there. I'm willing to make some changes. But other than that, again, just going back to the more of the historical record that we started with, where we just see he was ruling, he was going over. And when we just take that, we don't get the personal thing of what was happening to, oh, he was starting to get to know God, and then he submitted to God, and there was the seven years. We don't get that part. But and to just really understand Nebuchadnezzar as the villain towards God's people, towards the individual's. Like on one of those sieges, he tore down Solomon's temple. Like he just said, no, you guys aren't worshiping God anymore. So when we get into Daniel, we're like, oh, yeah, it looks like he's seeing some things. Like, no, if you look at history, he completely destroyed out of anger of how dare you guys rebel against me and stuff and tore down the temple that God had said to establish. So to go from that level of villainy and opposition to God and pride and everything else to being completely humbled. And really, it is a, it's a miraculous way. God did a thing that only God could do there to humble this great king. And yeah, what a transformation. I know we've talked about, is he saved? Isn't he saved? Will we see him in heaven? Based on how his story ended. Like, yeah, what, what, what can you say, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, if I'm not the judge, but based on how it ended, if you're listening to the thing, you exactly. can make up your own mind. I mean, if mind, you're but... a smarter person than I am and you could <laughs> decipher, you have anything else that says contrary, then please let us know at yourchurchfriends at gmail.com. But yeah, from my perspective, I see it that way. You know, when you're talking about everything, it reminded me of the book we were reading together, uh, Spiritual Breakthrough by Watchman Nee. Release of the Spirit. Release of the Spirit. Exactly. By Watchman Nee. Uh, I just like saying his last name, Watchman Nee. Uh, <laughs> but the whole story of that thing is this, this you're, you have to, your outer person has to break, right? And the whole book is based off of the breaking of the outward so that the spirit of what's inside can come out. And throughout the chapters of the book, it talks about how discipline, how God can use discipline to do it or circumstances to do it or just comes at you to break that person. And you see this kind of same thing comparison in 
in Nebuchadnezzar and, and all the villains that God is trying to move into them and break what's going on and stop and prevent them from doing these things. And at the tail end of the book, he gets through the to the part where like, if God's trying to break you to like, we'll keep on the topic of pride. If he's trying to break your pride, you can't show humility based on your own standards. It has to be the spirit out of you that shows humility because if you're trying to make artificial humility, you haven't really allowed the spirit to come out and break through. The point of the thing is like, yeah, it's nice to live in a world where you're nice to people and you're loving to people. But before God, he sees all. And before God, he's trying to do that inner work. Right. So it's like, yeah, you might be able to fool people. You might even try to fool yourself and start to fool yourself. But eventually what's inside comes out. Whatever that poison is, it ends up, like, you know, you can't contain it. So you might seem like a really humble guy until you're not or it's finding an expression in some other way because you're feeling like you're getting taken advantage of or all of these things like because the internal world isn't right so i think it's a good book to read uh i'll recommend it but it does have a good tie-in here to what's happened in nebuchadnezzar's life that it does seem to me again like yeah there was this breakthrough almost that he became something that he wasn't from the beginning yeah and just when looking at that breaking needing to happen when we see the result of that in nebuchadnezzar's life and I said that I had that in my life with pride and you're bringing up just hey, whatever's on the outside, our intellect, our will, our, our emotions, like God needs to break what's there and allow his way to live through you. Ultimately, we see what that looks like in Jesus. Jesus yeah. was not a weak man. He was so powerful. But in Philippians 2, it says that he didn't consider his equalness with God something to be grasped and held on to, but he reached that and became humble as a servant and obedient even unto death. And when we see that, man, for whatever greatness we think we have in this earth, to just be able to release that and say, I can release from that and humble myself before God and be obedient to him. And it's when we do that, we find, oh, that's where life really is. It's not in all of the stuff that I built up for myself, but God is then able to reveal to us, here's who you truly are. Here's who I created you to be. Walk in the fullness and the freedom of all of that. And trust me and allow me to provide for you. Because a lot of times pride is even like, I know I'm going to provide for myself or I'm going to show myself or I'm going to do, you know, it's a lot of I, I, I. And God's able to come and say, it's not about you. It's about me. Yeah. Change your viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Because even that looking up, right? Like Nebuchadnezzar was looking at what he had. It was this level view of looking at what was done. Well, if he's eating like an ox, he's on his hands well, and he's looking at the he got, ground. He got to look down, but when before that, he was looking at his level, at his statue, at what he's at his big old giant gold statue, and saying, "Look at all my great creations." Then he had to look down and look at the ground and eat it, and then he looked up. And I think the remedy always is looking up towards God, getting more of God's view in your life. I think that's going to be the big thing. So I'm done. If you got one more note. Yeah, I just want to say as far as villains and redemption and all of the stuff go and God being in control of all of it, if you are in Second Kings right before uh, Jehoiakim came up and Nebuchadnezzar came up, we have this crazy story about King Josiah. And King Josiah is a king that uh, his priest found basically the Old Testament, finally found it. And Josiah was like, what is this? Let's read it. Read this to me. And goes, oh, we haven't been following God because we've completely lost the book. We're ignorant of the book. We've been doing all kinds of stuff. And it talks about Josiah going, we're going to follow God. Went and tore down all of the high places. Went and like just purified Israel. And 
it was an amazing thing that happened there with Josiah. Where like, we're going to follow God and we're going to take it all seriously. And they even had a Passover. And it said all the time throughout the judges and the other kings, they had never celebrated a Passover. It's like Passover is a big deal. So this crazy thing with Josiah happening, making things as right as he could during his reign. But what had happened just from everything that had happened before and what was happening after Josiah was was that God's anger was still kindled for what was going on there. And when we have the different prophets warning about, hey, Babylon's going to come, you're going to go into exile, you got to get things right. And Josiah came and tried to make things right, and it still just ended up being what it was. It starts to break my brain just about how in control God is, that he's Mm. constantly seeking for us to turn, for us to repent, for us to live a fullness of life. But even where mankind is evil and when we go against him, he's even able to work evil towards good. Because here we have the Jewish people completely going against God, and he uses this villainous guy of Nebuchadnezzar to come in and conquer over the Jews and say, hey, I'm going to get you to knock this off, right? And they, they're looking forward to exile, and they recognize who God is. But then even in that, they used Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to reveal himself to Nebuchadnezzar. And it's God working through even all of these evil things to bring his plan and his will. He, it's his will that everybody would repent, that everybody would come to him. So looking at the villains on the grand scale, on the small scale, and on, on everything, God is in control. And sometimes I can't see that. <laughs> when I look at the world right now, like I'm going to trust you're in control. But I'm not looking at it 2,000 years after the fact. And I don't get how. I'm just going to trust you that it's going to work out. I like that point you made there that... He, this evil villainous guy conquered, and, and I think I said it earlier, but like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're like the good guys, they're the heroes, they're the Avengers, I don't know if you want to, whatever tie-in you want to make to superhero-ness in there. They're like the good guys. And instead of going always constantly to attack the enemy, attack the villain, they showed God to enough to where it changed his life and altered his course. So I think that's a cool way to look at it. I do have a thing, I, I found a way how I could tie in the Matrix so it doesn't make so it doesn't make sense that it's in this episode. Well, when you brought up the Avengers, I was like, no, 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 the Matrix, the Matrix. Yeah, so, <laughs> so but I, I was thinking, I was that, thinking so another way. But so Babylon during this time is usually called Neo Babylon, mm-hmm. and Neo was the one who saved everyone. Keanu Reeves' character, so Neo tied it in, got it there. In name only. In name only. That analogy breaks immediately once you move beyond Neo. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's end the show. I'm Chris. I'm Yurda. We're your church friends. Thanks for listening. The Word for Word Bible comic is completely unabridged. Not one word is missing. The pictures are accurate to the historical and cultural background and help immerse the reader in the ancient setting. Due to the corruption of mankind, the Bible is bloody and filled with complex adult themes of abuse and betrayal. This comic is therefore aimed at adults and older teens. The word-for-word Bible comic. Order yours today.